Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. Jeff Lerner, your host. Thrilled to be here with you, as always. Uh, getting to talk to really smart people and call it work. So it's exactly what I'd be doing even if I wasn't working. And yet here we are calling it work. Uh, today, I'm joined by Damian Lupo. He is the best-selling author of a dozen books on personal finance, investing, retirement strategies. He hosts the Financial Underdogs podcast where he basically shreds all the BS that you're you know, big bank, financial advisor type of person is probably telling you. Um, he's actually created his own martial art, which I can't wait to hear about. And probably, perhaps most relevant, he's created a retirement cool retirement tool, although we'll go with retirement cool because it'll give you a cool retirement, called EQRP, which I'm also excited to hear about. Again, his name is Damian Lupo, and we're so grateful, Damian, that you're on Millionaire Secrets. Welcome. Hey, Jeff, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm excited about what's going to happen. I don't even know what's going to happen, but I'm stoked. I have no idea, but I'm nonetheless just excited like you are. So, I mean, I guess let's just jump in the deep end of the pool. Uh, I mentioned to you before the show, my dad, I grew up the son of a wealth manager. He was an institutional stockbroker for a long time and he switched over to private wealth management. So, I, I like to think I'm probably more savvy than the average person, but I'm by no means a, a financial professional. Um, but my interest is steering hard towards this EQRP thing. Like I want to know what is EQRP? Can you explain it to me and the rest of us, please? Yeah. I mean, EQRP is, is control of your financial future. I mean, just bottom line, most people's money, most people's wealth is in two places, retirement accounts and their house. Yeah. And let's be honest, you're not going to eat your house. Like even if you have equity, you're not going to just like, if you've got to live somewhere. So I just take that out of the equation and I say, well, what are you dealing with? And most people, it's their retirement accounts. And unfortunately, most people did what Wall Street told them to do. And it's totally your dad's fault, by the way. No, I mean, it's right. like, it, like the, the system is set up to get people to hand their money over and then smoke a bunch of hopium. Like, okay, in 20 years, I'll have money. And, and that's, I don't really believe in that, that strategy. So when I created the EQRP, it's the Enhanced Qualified Retirement Plan that was a way for people to take their IRAs and 401ks and just be able to control it, invest in things that they could get their arms around like real estate or, or gold or startups or cryptocurrency, like really all the stuff that the, the Wall Street system says, don't do this, it's scary and you're too stupid. Just give us your money and let us fee it to death. I mean, that's, that's right. why this is and, and what it's all about, it's control. Yeah, so, I, and I'm, I'm totally kind of familiar with what you're talking about, this whole concept of, of death by fees. Um, and I will briefly say my dad's not one of those guys. He wasn't a big Wall Street guy. He, and, and frankly, my dad managed money for people that already had a lot of money and were pretty sophisticated. He was, it was a high net worth kind of boutique firm. But mm -hmm. regardless, um, so I have, so I mean, forgive me for injecting myself into the conversation, but so like I have a, among various vehicles, I have a SEP IRA that's a self-managed, like it's, it's a SEP through a company that gives you a lot of discretion. I can buy precious metals, I can buy crypto, I can buy real estate. Um, what, what would you say is the distinction or similarity between what you're talking about and that, for example? It's a great question. So there, all these retirement accounts are really, when you talk about qualified plans or, or IRAs, they're all just tax shelters. Right. And they just, they have different functions. They have different limits. They have different abilities to do things. Well, big parts of the distinction with an EQRP versus really everything else is you actually have the complete control where you have the checkbook. There's nobody else. There's no custodian. You're the trustee. Okay. So that's, that's one big thing. Typically, you're able to put more money into it and you can have spouses, you can have kids that are all putting money in. I've had families that put two, $300,000 a year into it. You can do that with pre-tax or post-tax money. If you're buying gold, for example, a SEP or any other type of IRA can't physically hold it. Whereas an EQRP, you can physically take possession. If you're buying real estate, this is the thing that kicks people in the butt. They use their IRAs or their SEPs to buy real estate, especially with like apartments or they use debt and they get taxed like 37%. An EQRP is exempt. So all of a sudden, when you start looking at these main things, you're like, wait, why would I ever do anything except for an EQRP? And I don't know why. It's simply because people don't know the difference. They think they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. I mean, I'll hold myself up as an example. I'm, I mean, I've, I've worked with multiple consultants. You know, I have a, I've had multiple businesses growing really fast where I'm in the category of like a guy who's going to have a lot of money and a guy who should get really good advice. And I've reached out for that good advice. I've literally never heard of this thing you're talking about, this EQRP. 
the SEP was meant to be a big breakthrough. And obviously I, I do a lot of other stuff on my own, you know, whatever, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, how is, how have I never heard of this? Did you like invent it or is this like a known thing that people can tap into where, yeah. What's the yeah, I mean, it, well, you know, it's funny. You're, I mean, you're an entrepreneur. You understand going out and solving. Somebody has an itch, and you and you scratch it. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed about a decade ago was that there were people that wanted to do something different. And there are people like my parents retired, and they played by the rules, and they just they they basically were broke. And my dad was military. My mom was in a school system, and and so what's happened is people are doing what they see and what they're marketed to. So most people aren't going out there unless they they're watching this or they're hearing about this. They, they don't really know. They would never ask their you know financial advisor, tell me about all the IRAs and EQRPs. They wouldn't even know what that is because right. they have to run into it. The big marketing money is institutional. It's the IRA to $10 trillion there and the, the 20 plus trillion in the Wall Street systems. So why do, I mean, people do the best they know. They, I, I really believe that. They, they have IRAs, they have SEPs because that was the best tool that was there. And what happens is we keep learning and growing and it's like, we live in an age where it's unlimited. And so eventually somebody bumps into this and they go, wow, why didn't I know about this? And it's, it's funny because there's three stages. There's the first stage is this seems too good to be true. And the second one is I'm really mad. I didn't know 10 years ago. And the third stage is how quickly can I convert my stuff to this thing? Cause it's obviously better. So it's sort right. of a funny norm. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the tax benefits. I mean, the, the two platforms that I'm very familiar with and that I've used that are, um, you know, tax, either tax exempt or tax deferred are basically whole life insurance that, you know, you're sure you're familiar with like the infinite banking or self banking concept. Um, I do a lot of that. And then uh, the SEP, right. But those both have, well, those both have different types of contribution limits, the SEP because of just the IRA limits and then the life insurance, because you can only overfund a policy so much or it becomes a, what they call it, a modified endowment contract and it breaks yep. all the, the economics. So am I missing it? Or are you saying that this is something that kind of gives you the best of those worlds, but also, you know, kind of more freedom and, and there's nothing that's deferred. You don't have to wait till you're a certain age. Well, what I would say, and I used to sell life insurance, and so I'm very familiar. I've had uh, the the infinite banking. I've had those type of policies, and they have. There's a reason to have them. And so, some people love life insurance. Some people hate it. Some people love retirement. Some people hate it. And and so, I just say everything has a reason for being, and it has a purpose if it makes sense. And so, with with this, this is really a way for you to control the money and be able to directly maneuver it into things. Like with life insurance, you can borrow against it and then your, your money is outside. So you're not going to be growing your policy inside at the rates that you'd like to from your own investments. Whereas like an EQRP, you can invest in something and let it sit there for 10 years and it pops out at three times the size. With, with life insurance, you've got the ability to double dip. There's some advantages there. It's, it's very protected. So that's a similarity in terms right. of you know, liability. So there's, there's really different things. And I think one of the problems is most people are, are learning about things from salespeople. And I like salespeople. I'm one of them. The problem is most salespeople can't say anything except my thing is the best thing and it's the only thing. Right. And I fundamentally disagree with that. I think we have to look at people more holistically. And, and so, you know, if somebody says, you got to do this thing, it's the, oh, it's the best thing ever. How do they know? I mean, we have to, you have to do a diagnosis. You, you don't go to your dentist and say, just do whatever you do to everybody else. Like I want you to do what's specific to me. It's the same thing. Otherwise, you're getting general, general advice, and that's what most people unfortunately get is just general advice that they probably shouldn't listen to as close as they are. Yeah, you know, we have a saying in our company, in my, my company, Entra, which you know we we teach entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. And one of the things we always say is a prescription without first a diagnosis is malpractice. Totally. And and so we have a you know pretty involved advisor. And this sounds like a plug for Entra. And frankly, maybe it is. We have a very involved advisory process where we actually get to know people before we say, ah, maybe you should do this. Right. Um, So, so, but with that in mind, I I love obviously applying that to finance. And I mean, oh my gosh, I think about some of the conversations. I literally do this for fun. Sometimes I sit down at my bank and I talk to the, the business banker and they refer me, they bring the guy over and like, oh, this is the guy that, you know, handles retirement planning and stuff. And I just, I just listen with a smirk. Um, you know, what is Wells Fargo going to try to sell me today kind of a thing. Um, but from your standpoint, uh, from the diagnostic perspective, like who is the EQRP for? Like if there, let's say there's a million people that hear this episode, help people self-identify like, yeah, that, that might be a, something I should learn more about. 
it's somebody that values freedom and and self responsibility. It's it's interesting because years ago, before I understood the value of values, where you really look at what people value, I was thinking, oh, it's like a forty five year old female dentist, like, and that's what a lot of people do. They profile based on demographics and sex and, and location and everything. And in, instead, what I what what's really become obvious is it's the person that says, I believe that I am going to honor and respect and love and and build my wealth and my money better than anybody else. And that, and I trust myself to learn what I need to learn and I'm willing to take responsibility for it. And, and probably I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of stocks and bonds and mutual funds that I actually believe there's other things that I could control and learn about and be better than just handing money over to a system that I quite frankly think is mostly rigged. And, and so it's, it's a different thing than just abdication. Uh, you're, you know, when your, your father was, was working with high net worth and things, I don't think wealthy people abdicate responsibility. I think that they smartly delegate responsibility for certain things. And that's what, unfortunately, most of the population is abdicating, meaning they're just like, well, I just hope it works out. This is meant for somebody that says, I'm not going to plan as hope is not my plan. My plan is engaging. It's being actively involved. And that's, that's why this exists. Yeah. I, I love that you said that. I mean, yeah, my, my dad and his, his firm, were, were rarely, if ever, the only money manager of a wealthy person. They were delegating, but they were delegating to two, three, five different people who would compete yes. for bigger shares of the pool. So if this guy's outperforming this guy, the wealthy persons, they're probably not going to move all the money because they still want to hedge, but they might move half the assets from this account to this account and rewarding this guy for better performance. And so you know, you're right. My experience, wealthy people absolutely never give up. They never put all their eggs in one basket, first of all. And they never, you know, give up. It's kind of like being a CEO of a company where you, where you have to be like the CEO of your own financial business where you need to at least be good enough at the thing to quality control the person that you delegate the thing to. That, that's actually, that's a huge point for anything in business. A lot of times people say, well, I'm just going to hire talent and I have no idea. And they don't want to get dirty. So they don't really understand. They don't even know how to communicate. They just go, okay, are you doing a good job? Like, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. There's something to this. A lot of people, we've, we've unfortunately become very lazy as a society. And the people that win are the ones that actively get dirty. They go out there and they're cutting their teeth and they're willing to understand. Like when it, there's, for the most part, I can do anything that any, anybody on my team is doing. I'm not going to do it as well. Most of my people, in fact, I would say everybody is better at what they do specifically than me, which is the point. You never want a CEO that's better than everybody. Then you've got a really weak team. Right. The, the reality though is I can communicate with them and we can talk about things and, and they're not just like looking at me going, you have no idea what my job is about. And I think that's important with, with investments too. You, you really want to understand it. And if you don't, you end up in a Bernie Madoff investment. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, as, as, you know, you obviously, I think you've started what, like 50, over 50 companies, right? And I haven't started nearly that many, but I, I can say that what I've learned is I have to be competent with technology. I mean, even at the level of like, you know, hey, what, what kind of a, you know, how'd you set up the database for that? Like, and to actually have some, you know, intelligent, at least know enough to be dangerous about database architecture or code. What, what language are we going to build this application in? Is it a PHP or is it a Python thing? Like, and to have some competence, even if you don't get in there and write all the code, obviously finance to understand, you know, tax, uh, tax implications, liability implications, um, and then operational, you know, to say, oh, well, how do I run a business differently if I have two employees versus 20 versus 200? And what is kind of, what are some different management archetypes? And like, you got to know all this stuff. And, and I, I, I say that almost with a caution. It's like, oh, don't say that, Jeff. Like, you'll, you're, you're, you have an audience of people that want to be entrepreneurs. Don't scare them all off. But I get excited, you know, I, I, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like, learning is cool, right? Like, people act like learning is a burden, which is, kind of, I mean, you bump up against that in finance, I'm sure. People like, they want to abdicate, right? They don't want to have to become informed. People, people want, I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Like that's yeah. how this is, this process works. And, right. and, and people generally, there's, you, you asked who is, who wants this? Who is this for? It's people that actually understand the value and enjoy the idea of working. I think working has become a four letter word or work at least. And it, and people are like, oh no, I'm going to follow Tim Ferriss. And I'm like, look, Tim Ferriss is great. If you want to learn about hacking international VAs and like great ideas, 
But the wrong idea there is to say you shouldn't be working. It should just be all done for you that you're not going to be engaged. That's like saying, I'm going to have a partner and we're going to have passive sex. Like that's going to go over really well. They're going to leave you. Like you've got to engage or it's over. (laughs) Did you just make that up on the spot or have you used that before? Man, I got burned by that philosophy years ago. So like, you know, it's it's kind of personal to me. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We'll circle back to that at the end if there's time. Um, so, okay. So, so, and I mentioned this and probably shouldn't be glossed over. Um, you've started over 50 companies. Um, maybe talk about that. Like, do you have just incessant ADD or are you that versatile? Like what's, what's the story there? And, and, and of those, like what, what industries, what categories and what's really stuck? What's fascinating about that is that when I started st- companies. The first one was back in Alaska when I was growing up at 11 and I started a Nintendo company because the problem was my parents were broke and they told us that we were poor. And, and so we didn't have any money for Super Mario. And I said, well, I want Super Mario. Like that looks cool. And I'm, you know, I felt like the kid that didn't have all the fun toys. So I just started a business to try to buy and sell and actually get some games. And, and that just led into me really doing other things, hustling. So it, before Grant Cardone was Grant Cardone, I was out there hustling, thinking I was the great hustler. And, and it, when that evolved into other things, I kept trying things. And when I was, I was actually on a cruise with Robert Kiyosaki last year and, and he, we were talking about wealth and he, it was funny, we're, we're all teaching and we have different perspectives on our, our lives and our, our businesses. And he goes, wealth is not cash. It's not cash flow. You guys think you're thinking the wrong thing. Most people think if I have $2 million in the bank or 5 million, I'm, I'm wealthy. And he goes, no, that's wrong. And I go, yeah. So what do you think it is? And he said, wealth is the experiences. And it's, you can't get, they can't be taken away and they compound. So 50 companies just means I'm learning and I'm willing to learn and fall on my face. And I don't take it personally. The, the biggest problem I think people have with the idea of being an entrepreneur or going into business is they're afraid of making a mistake because of the judgment. I mean, there's this like this scarlet letter if you go bankrupt or, or if you make a mistake or if you don't, like I got thrown out of college and I, you know, I tried four times, but it just never stuck. Of course, one of them, the last one was a communist that was teaching the class. So I couldn't hang out there. Uh, but the, the truth is all these businesses just give us new skills. So when I, I wrote a book called Unicornomics last year, and it was the really everything that I'd learned by starting 50. And what now 50 companies does not mean $50 billion companies because right. Unicornomics is about billion. It, you know, at least half to two thirds of those things made no money, no money or lost money. They all taught me things that led me to the place where I'm building eight and nine figure companies or already have done that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the big difference. It, it's really embracing that as a fun journey versus being afraid of tripping and stubbing our toes. Yeah. I really, anybody that's listening to this, you know, you've got two people talking who are both competent and, you know, reasonably successful at starting businesses, right? We're also reasonably unsuccessful or really unsuccessful at starting businesses. And that, that would, I hope would be my takeaway or somebody's takeaway is you've got 50 plus. I started 10 in my 20s. I'm probably between 15 and 20 businesses that I've started or, you know, it's some LLC you create just to kind of own a project. And then right. a year later it fizzles out and you're like, oh, I need to remember to, you know, deactivate that with the state of Nevada or whatever. And then you forget and you owe the franchise fee the next year or whatever. Yeah. But you know, like I'm kind of there too, like starting a business is our version of like taking a test or, you know, taking a quiz in class. And like, sometimes you get an A and sometimes you get a C and you're like, Oh, I need to study harder. But like, you're right to most people. And it's funny, even in my own company now, people get to this stage where it's like, okay, now that you've kind of decided what direction you want to pursue and what, what you want to focus on, it's time to like set up an LLC, get a tax ID number, you know, hire a bookkeeper and run this thing like a business. And you would think, and I don't say this disparagingly at all because it's just about culture and, and education. It's like they're getting married. It's literally that big a thing. We're like, I got my EIN number. Woo! And it's like, bro, there's like, 300 million EIN numbers in the United States. Like you just get started in LLC. By the time you're done on this wild and crazy journey, you might have a hundred of them, but it is, it's so crazy. Why, why do you think, I don't know, maybe this is a silly question, but like, why is this concept around starting a business so anathema to most people? 
we're, we're trained to be employees. We're trained to be A students. And if we're not an A student, we're a B student, which means we're a bureaucrat. We're basically working right. in the government. I mean, the A students work for C students and C students start the companies. In broad terms, that's kind of what happens. And it's because the C students are used to getting beat up. The real world is not about perfection. It's funny because when you think about the educational system, if you make 50% wrong, they kick you out. In the real world, if you make 50% wrong, it means you made 50% right. You're a damn billionaire. And, yeah. and so we're being taught the wrong things, but we're taught and we get accolades. And like, I remember being a straight A student until I wasn't and I went off a cliff and I was like, cool, now I'm a real entrepreneur. I know what it's like to get smacked and, and have people look at me like I'm an idiot. That's, that's like good. But I mean, we're, we're trained to be perfect. And if we're not perfect, I was with a friend of mine and his kid this last weekend and his, his daughter got a, a C, a 71%. And I was like, that's awesome. But I kept my mouth shut because he goes, you know, looks at his daughter and I'm going, man, what are you doing? You're training her to be an employee. And I'm not saying employees are bad. I'm saying you're knocking the entrepreneurial spirit out of her. And I just, I was like, oh, this is what most people do. My parents did it. I think most people, our entire structure is set up to have very smart cogs. That's what Rockefeller and those guys did back in the early 20th century. They were setting up a system to have great employees for their entrepreneurial ventures. They had to have yeah. smart people. So that's our education system. It's not set up to have entrepreneurs unless you go to Babson. Yeah, I mean- there's only a few formats in the world where a bell rings and you dutifully pack up your stuff and go to another room. Mm -hmm. Schools, factories, and prisons. What's the difference? That's it. And that's my point, right? One is preparing you for one of the other, well, hopefully the former of the other two, not the latter. But I mean, <laughs> it is pretty crazy when you think about like, oh, bell rings. Okay, get up. Go, go, to, go sit in the next seat and listen passively to somebody talking at you until bell rings again and then go to the next seat. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that, I'm with you. I, I dropped out of high school my junior year. I couldn't take it anymore. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from an authentic place. Like it's, it's craziness and it's not right. And I, I was willing to put my money where my mouth was at least. I, and you know, and I think we need to be more embracing of people that make decisions to do other things. I, I have a, a good friend of mine that is a doctor, both he and his, and his spouse are, are doctors. And, and it was interesting because I said, what do you want for your son? Because he does, my, my buddy's an entrepreneurial doctor. And, and it was interesting when I dug down, his backup plan for his son was to be a doctor. And I said, you are in the middle of doctor meltdown where it's just painful being a practitioner. And yet you're doing this and you're an entrepreneur. And what I found is that most parents, and I'd say most because I think in the middle of the bell curve in America, if you have entrepreneurial parents, they are, they are training compliant professional employee kids and they're training a bunch of snowflakes that are incapable of scar tissue and pain because it was so hard for them to go through the entrepreneurial process. They don't want that for their kids. They're afraid of their kids hurting, which means their kids are going to be weak and they're not going to be able to handle real life. And that's, to me, that's sad. And I think we need to stop doing that and actually say, go get hurt while I'm watching you learn how to deal with it, be hardened, be strong and go out there and, and fight in the world because the world is not, it's not meant for snowflakes. It's going to eat your lunch. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Go get hurt. Just don't die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think everybody, parents and in, in, in general, where if we, we think it's like, I, I grew up in Alaska and worked in the Arctic circle where I could literally be eaten by a polar bear when I was taking out the trash. And, and when I was in Africa, some lady did get eaten by a lion because she was trying to line up tiger cubs and lion cubs. And so mama came over and ate her ass. Well, it, we tend to think primarily that that's what's going to happen if we make a mistake in business. Once you go out and make a mistake and nothing eats you, that's why it's easy to go from one business to 50 versus zero to one. Zero to one is the hardest because you have all this brain damage around how much, how many different things are going to eat you. I'm like, it's not rustling in the bushes. Give me a break. But that's what people think because we're primarily wired that way. Speaking of things going wrong and getting metaphorically eaten, um, Back, I think you had, like myself, a rough time back in the Great Recession, 2008, 2007, 2009. Am I, am I right? Am I reading your story right? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Um, maybe kind of what led you up? I mean, you know, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? It sounds like you fell pretty hard. So what happened? Well, I mean, my, my ego became 10 feet tall. And, and so like, that was part of it. I thought it was bulletproof. Uh, and basically what happened when I started out, I was out there hustling, hustling, hustling until I started making money. And then all of a sudden I became a millionaire and then a multimillionaire and then a multiple Ferrari owner and all the idiocies that you do when you have millions of dollars in your twenties. And it was super fun. 
And then 2008 happened and I had no cycle experience. And so I didn't know what was coming. I had, I had grayer, now I'm balder than all my mentors from back then, but back then I didn't have, I stopped listening to mentors and my mentors had experience. They said, look, stop risking everything all the time. Make sure you're able to go through cycles. Well, we were too young and too stupid, but we thought we were so smart. And so in 2008, I had all these projects that I thought I was going to make a million bucks on a piece and I lost a million on each. So I went from 20 million to negative five in 12 months. And the process there was a gift from God because it gave me an opportunity to learn after I went through the denial process, which is not a river in Africa. It's like, this is a problem where you just say, oh, nope, nothing happened. Everything is good. Nothing to see here. And I went through that process and on the other side of it, I said, okay, what's, what am I going to do differently? Am I just going to learn and do the same stuff or am I going to ask a better question? And my process really sorted itself out because I went to somebody and said, hey, I need help. I don't know what I don't know. And he said, great. So we spent two years asking one question. The question was, what is true? And that was the basis for Reinvented Life. When I wrote that book in 2012, it was peeling back the layers and then asking the, the hard questions, which I don't think most people want to ask because it's, it's painful to see the truth. And that's where, the, that's where the, the chance for change is. And so on the other side of that, instead of just doing the same thing and saying, okay, I can do it without losing money, I stopped focusing on the money. I measure the money, but the, it's not a mission of more anymore, of more money. It's a mission of breaking a million people's financial shackles and breaking this bondage of, of modern day slavery. That's why I do what I do. And what's happened is the side effect is abundance and wealth, true wealth, not the, a bunch of cash, but like experiences and connection and contribution that was, that's never really possible if you're only focused on money. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to fully step into this kumbaya moment with you and at risk of sounding maudlin to the audience, I will, I will just echo that for me, I'm 41. It was when I was 38 is when I'd had success, but never like the breakthrough and um, I'd had some major hiccups along the way that really hurt. And I had that same moment that was like, okay, the most, when somebody's really, really depressed, there's two things they can do to write the serotonin in their brain. They can take antidepressants or they can serve other, another human. Like it's proven, go to a homeless shelter and serve soup to a person in need and you will be less depressed. So there's something pretty deeply biologically wired in us about service. And, you know, that coupled with some just general thoughts and wanting to have a better, happier life. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not just going to say I'm here to serve. I'm actually going to serve. Like I'm, I'm going to make that number one and money can be a distant number two. Dude, I've made more money since I just made that decision. I mean, and it, I hesitate to say that because that's not why you should do it but it's what you're saying. Like there's so much on the other side of service, so much abundance, money, experience, just sleeping really well at night. Um, and, and so I'm curious, is that, is that when EQRP started to emerge for you? Yeah. I mean, it was, so a couple of other things happened and it's funny what you're saying kind of reminds me of this idea that we can look at a, at a, at a stove or a you know, fireplace and we can say, okay, after, after you give me heat, I'll put, I'll put firewood in. Right. And it's the same thing with service. Like you, you don't say, okay, after I make the money, I'm going to be charitable. Like, yeah. no, you are charitable and you serve and then the wealth comes. But I see a lot of people doing the opposite. They're like, I don't trust it. Well, I'm like, okay, so you're a science person. It, once you, you can't believe something until you actually go, until it's shown to you, you can't see it in your mind. And so people, they wait and then they're just really cold. And, you know, I was going through that process for a couple of years and while I was going through that, really on the other side of it, I said, okay, so what am I going to do now? I've got this, this epiphany that I'm a train wreck and I've, I've done this incredibly hard work on myself, which when, if, if you're trying to figure out what to even invest in or what business, let me tell you the best investment you can ever make is the work on yourself because we're all train wrecks. Yeah. And when we can start unpacking that, yeah, I mean, anybody that's successful, that is not a complete arrogant ass is, is going to have some type of feedback on their process of unpacking their own crap. In, in, in uh, early 2000, like it was like 2000, late 2013, my, my dad called me and, and he, was, he was going through some cancer stuff. And he said, hey, I uh, left me a message Thanksgiving weekend. And he said, I, I just want to let you know, um, I got some tests back. I'm stage four, but anyways, I'll catch you later. And that was like, I was like the worst voicemail you could ever receive. So I flew from New Jersey to Texas to Alaska the next 48 hours. 
and I was with him and it was like, I didn't know what to do other than I needed to go up there because his time was limited. And when we sat down, it was the last time we ever sat down one-on-one and we were at this coffee shop and, and it, it was a pivotal moment because people can either be examples or warnings to me, you know, to all of us. And when he said the next thing to me, it changed everything in my life. And it, it completely tweaked the, the, the direction I was going. He said, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And it broke me. Like there was a part of me that died because he realized he was out of time. And I, I, I go, I, like, I just cried. I didn't, you know, what do you do? I mean, what do you do with that? And, and what, what I realized is that he had not committed to anything deep enough to where at the end he was saying, wow, that was an amazing ride. And he didn't have the resources because he didn't commit to anything deeply so that he never felt comfortable experiencing his life. And he was about to end, and he did a couple months later, without really tapping into potential or experience. And to me, that was a huge warning. And it was something that I can help other people with to emphasize that that's the hell on earth they never want to experience, experiencing the man or woman that they could have been. And that's what he was experiencing those last weeks of his life. You had no way to know this, but my mom died six days ago from cancer. So I, I'm, and that's not, I'm, I'm so glad we are having this conversation, but I'm just going to be real. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not feeling a lot right now. Yeah. Um, sorry. I, it's, I, I, maybe this is awkward on a podcast. I just, it is what it is, but that was a human moment. Um, I feel what you're talking about. I do. My mom, fortunately, I think she did experience everything that she, she came for in this life. And my, I mean, she was married to a wealth manager. They, they planned well, you know, but God, I'm so, I'm so just overtaken with what you're saying that God, it happens fast when all of a sudden, you know, she was sent home 15 days before she died is when they actually went in to do surgery and said, there's nothing we can do. Go home and get your affairs in order. And she was a very tidy person. She was an estate planner. She was an attorney. So her affairs were pretty well already in order. Her husband was a wealth manager. Like there wasn't a lot to do except just sit there and, and kind of ride out the last out of the last inning. But uh, I, I, it happens so fast. That's, what, that's what, what has struck me is you go from living to dying. I mean, sometimes it's in an instant, but even when there's medical, a medical heads up, it can be weeks or months. And you're right. It's, you know, that like the Navy SEALs say, don't, don't wait till you need to be ready to get ready because by the time you need to get ready, it's going to be too late to get ready. It's um, we, we think we have, we, we have this weird bias towards thinking we have forever and, and we put things off. We have reasons and excuses and it's, it's always sad. You, you know, you, you probably heard this, read these things where people talk about in general, you go to, if you go to uh, homes where people are in their last days and last weeks, they, they don't talk about all of the extra hours they wish they had spent at their office. They talk about the connections. They talk about the experiences. If there's any regrets, it's those. And I think people think they can just do all this stuff and then down the road, they'll have this time. It's just, it's just not true. And I don't know where that came from, but we, we're, we're not living fully present, fully engaged. And it's almost like we're in the matrix. We're just we're not here and there's a chance because we do have a choice. We're not, I don't think we're in the matrix. I mean, we could be, but we're, we wouldn't know, right. We, we wouldn't know, I guess, <laughs> and, you know, unless Morpheus pulled us out, I guess. Right. But, but I mean, the, the truth is we all do have a choice. And it, the saddest thing for me is to see somebody giving up on themselves and, and it, you know, the, the work like you and I sharing and, and being out there and being real with people, maybe it gives them a, a, an idea that, you know, there's, I could do something. And that's, that's what the world needs more. We've had so much fear and pain and scarcity, especially over the last year. It's been, it's been really terrible. And what I see the opportunity for all of us is to find ways to bring people hope, not smoking hopium, but like literally hope yeah. and possibility and living fully present and looking at the uh, a hopeful future. And, and you know, to your, it sounds like your mom was more of an example and my dad was a warning and they both had super valuable roles on, on earth. We just need to ask ourselves, do which one do we want to be? And then are we comfortable with the choice? Yeah. And, and you're, so, you're so right about hope. You look at like the, the news and it's like, you know, today's 
lead lead story is you know something in congress or some sort of conflict or war in some place or something and then it's like they report the news a while and it's all doom and gloom and stuff and then they'll be like and for today's happy story you know in the next 30 seconds before we cut to commercial break we're going to meet rosie and her sweet little dog with three legs and then you know okay cut like it's such a token afterthought and i don't know i'm i'm kind of going on a tangent here but I really, I just, I visualize a world where we could actually fundamentally reverse that, where the good and the hopeful and the, and the positively human, I guess human can be negative or positive. Why isn't that the preponderance of the information and of the news and of, of the people's attention? Yeah, you got a theory? You want to enlighten me? Because I don't know. I mean, I'm a lot more interested in positive things than negative things, but the rest of the world seems to have it the other way around. Well, what's fascinating is that people, you know, people, people with wealth in general, if you look at, especially if you look at politics, it's about control. They have money, so then what's the next thing? Control. It's control over other people. It's this serfdom overlording. And and when you look at media, what is media? Media is really now just it's a it's a business to get us to stay attached to it. And it's tapping into our primal instincts. The what I think is really, really sad is that we're actually like, we're almost unconscious to it. And especially with people saying they're going to solve all our problems and it doesn't matter what political persuasion it's like, we go, yeah, I want my person. It's like, well, your person's probably just part of the system that wants to control your life. So in reality, we, we don't need all that. We've, we've become addicted to it thinking we need it because I think we've, we've lost the control around trusting ourselves. And the, and the truth is, I trust people more than I trust any government. I trust individuals to make decisions for themselves. I'm mm-hmm. I, my, like my value is, is freedom and liberty and let people do what they want to do. And I thought it was funny. People were getting all up in arms around Oregon. They passed the, these rules around drugs. And I was like, Hey, look, people are going to do drugs. If they want to do drugs, but why are we incarcerating everybody if they want to stick a needle in their arm? Like, it's just, it's fascinating to me. I just think more letting, letting go of trying to manipulate people it's this control factor is it's just, it, it's like the, the old term, uh, what is it? Power begets power and, and absolute power is power becomes absolute power. And I'm totally massacring this thing. But the reality is the more people go down that direction, the more we end up in just serfdom and slavery. And, and I, I'm hopeful that we're going to, we're going to end out on the other side of this thing. And I don't know if it's going to be ugly or if we're going to have an epiphany, um, you know, but I'm going to do what I can and I'm not going to be part of the conversation. I, in fact, reject that part of the conversation where it's the red alert for everything. I think that, that people send me stuff and I go, no, thanks. Like, I don't, this doesn't impact me. I'm going to go impact somebody's life in a positive way today. See what happens to both of us. Yeah. I know a lot of people in the, in the online and, and the, inf- I, I hate this term influencer because it has such a, like a pseudo vanity component, but that's not what it is. It's, it's more of like, an impactor, people that want to have impact, right? So many that are really aligned against what you're talking about. Call it the matrix, call it the construct, call it the aristocracy, call it the mind control, whatever. But like this, this idea of empowering the individual and returning freedom and so much of it, so much, probably the greatest proportion of it is around financial and business literacy which is, by the way, like what they don't teach in schools. If you say, okay, let's draw a circle around what they don't teach in schools, it's going to be business, finance, and even MBAs. I've hired MBAs. Maybe they know a thing or two about business, but it's not because they learned it in school when they were getting their MBA. It's because they went out, got their ass kicked, got burned out at Deloitte and Touche or whatever, and went and started a business and actually learned business, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that really is. And would you say that's that's actually kind of what you're all about? Like you're not a a financial advisor, security salesperson that like what you're really trying to empower and, and package is financial literacy. That's hundred percent what it is. All the other things, everything that, that I do and, and my companies do has to do with empowering people. It's giving them ideas and tools. So it's not just a big idea with no actual practical application. And it's not just, here's a tool, go buy this and then good luck. It's really giving people a depth of understanding. It's, I, I, I say it's kind of like giving somebody an apartment. You can give somebody a 500 unit apartment that's kicking them off $50,000 a month. And does that make them free? Not a chance because they're probably going to blow it up. Chances are they'll blow it up just like a lottery. 
So it's really, it's the education, it's the support. It's, it's, I like to look at it where I, 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 I'm, I'm giving somebody my confidence because I'm believing in them and their dreams and their possibility when they won't do it. And that's, I think we all need that, especially when we're starting out and the world looks scary and, and we're in the dark. It's like our own, everybody's got a hero's journey that they're going on. And, and so I want to, I want to be able to give that to people a little bit of, of confidence and if we haven't had the experience, the confidence has to come from somewhere. Either it's naivety, like when you're 20 years old and you charge a house on your credit card, which I did. Not a good idea. Don't do that. But it's it's really, it's about us being willing to educate ourselves with something that's not part of the system. The system doesn't want us to be financially literate. It wants us to be financially dependent. I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I've never actually heard anybody else talk about borrowing like lending people confidence. And in, in part of my company, Entree, one, one juncture, I talk about, look, you may not believe yet, so I'm going to loan you my belief, interest-free, and when you're ready, just pay me back. And you can use mine until yours is developed. And I've never heard anybody else talk about that, but it's so true. I mean, I think about my life, when I sort of started to go this direction, call it the you know, the road less traveled or a life less ordinary, like I'm not going to be in the box, right? There were certain people that I was able to basically borrow their belief or their confidence. Did you have the same experience? Was there somebody that was critical for you at a certain time? It's one of the best questions that's ever been asked. And, and the reason I say that is because if people feel like they're on their own, their tribal instincts of survival are going to kick in and they're going to say, nope, I'm going to stay with who I'm with. And it's why we don't break out. We tend to want to be like other people because if we're on the outskirts, we do get eaten. So if you think back to primal instincts, it's really driving a lot of our, our stuff. So how do, you, how do you become a thinker or a doer based on things that are productive versus survival and scarcity? For me, back in 2000 and, and before that, I didn't have anybody that was rich or successful. I had bureaucrats and people, good people, but they were at a certain level and they were going to stay there for life. They were like defending their space. Right. And so I went out there and, and this is when tapes were around. I didn't have any, I didn't even know what a mastermind was back then. And so I just said, okay, well, I'm going to go and tap into Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and the Ron Legrands for my real estate stuff and, and Earl Nightingale, like all these people. And I burned out tapes. All I did was listen to them and it was their belief systems. I absorbed that stuff. We, we've all probably heard this, that we are the average of those people. And usually it's about five people. Mm-hmm. And so my five people were not my family. They weren't my friends. In fact, I had friends throw me out of their circles because they're like, you're just no fun. I was like, man, I'm on a mission, man. I'm creating, a, I'm creating an empire. And then I need to blow up my empire in 2008, but I was creating something. And it, it really came down to making sure that I put up a wall around me. And all, the only voices that were influencing me were the ones that were helping me create my vision. Anything else, you have to defend your mind. If you don't block and defend it, it's going to get crushed by the little thinkers. That's just, that's true for everybody. Yeah, I'm sure. I- you know, it's funny. I talk to someone like you, I'm sure I'm like, oh, we all, we all know about crabs in a pot. Like we've probably right. used that analogy yeah. 8,000 times, but I find a lot of people don't know what I mean. Yeah. So I'm going to say it like you don't have to put it. Why is it that you don't have to put a lid on a pot of crabs? Maybe you can, you can share the answer. But, but I mean, if you think about it, a bucket of crabs, they never have a lid on them. Why, how do they, why don't they get out? So instinctually, it's, it's fascinating. We are crabs. Like we, we want to keep other people around us because it, it validates our beliefs. If, if people go out, so crabs do this and people do this, it's the same thing. We're all in a bucket. And, and the moment one of us starts to get out of that thing, the other, the others are like, no, 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 that's going to screw up our system. Our system is staying put, staying here. We're all safe. Everything is good. And so when the crab tries to go out, everybody pulls them back. Well, people do the same thing. If, if somebody tries to escape, it's like escaping gravity. They, everybody pulls them back because what happens if, when that person escapes gravity, then Everybody else is going to look at that and go, oh my God, what have I just done the last 10, 20, 30 years? I was wrong. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be reinforced. We want to be validated. And so we tend to defend it by pulling everybody back down like these stupid crabs, but they're instinctual and we're doing the same thing. We've got to use our frontal lobe. I mean, the bottom line is we're using the wrong part of our brain. So for purposes of the metaphor, you're a crab, I'm a crab. We're all in a big 7 billion crab bucket. What do you do? I mean, you may have already answered this, but like, what do you do to be able to get out of the bucket without being pulled back in? You make getting out of the bucket normal. And when it's normal, it's the only thing that makes any sense. And it's what you do. It's like, we don't think about most of of the stuff we do. We get up, we we have all these behaviors. And and so you create momentum by doing, by taking a step, some step in a direction that 
maybe it scares you, but if you're around people and that's their normal step and that's the only thing that makes sense, then you're going to go, oh, well, that's normal for me too. And so it doesn't really matter what that step is. It just matters that you think about the people that are around you. I think that that's the, probably the, the one thing, if anything, because if you think you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to do it on your own and you're just going to have everybody in your life that's fighting you and that is not an entrepreneur or doesn't want to go break out and create a vision, you are almost totally screwed because it is so hard. It's hard with teams. It's hard. And, but doing it on your, on your own, I mean, I'd say forget about it. Like you've, you've got to start with a core team and that core team may beat MP3s or whatever, you know, it might be your YouTube channel. Just watch Jeff for the next six months and that's it. Like don't turn anything else on. I mean, seriously, it's, it probably, I would say it's better than what most people's input into their brain. They're, it's like most people are, are, are thinking or they're, they're listening to verbal Twinkies. It's not healthy. Verbal Twinkies. I like that. And if our, to, to see the metaphor all the way through, I'm also going to suggest that when you're trying to get out of the bucket, it can be really obvious to everyone. Burrow a hole through the bottom of the bucket. People are like, in other words, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. guard, guard your spot. Like, don't be so like, wait, let people go. Wait, where did, where did Damien go? Oh, there's a hole in the bucket. He got out. Right. You know, don't announce to the whole world what you're doing, but but be convicted and, and um, you know, Shawshank redemption your way out of the bucket. So that's, you know, it's funny because people will say there's this argument, you put, put something out there and, and make it public and then you've got support for it. I happen to agree with you. And so if you've got your core people that you know are on your side, they're going to support you and they're going to burrow with you. That's cool. In, in general, I would say, keep your stuff to yourself so that you don't have people fighting. So I totally agree with your, uh, just burrow and do it quietly. Do your ninja, like your inner yeah. ninja. Like that's your, more- Your I, personal development game has to be very evolved. Yes. Before you're ready to handle public skepticism of your new thing. 100%. You, you, you know, I, I, when I started right. Entra, I did it. I went public. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to change the world starting with this video. And people are like, who is this guy? He's got like four views. I don't, but I, I, but I was, I'm 20 years into this. Yeah. You know, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16 years old. But man, it's not for the faint of heart. And I got hate. I got abuse. I got some very colorful names and, and verbiage thrown at me that was, I still revere to this day because it was so creative. But um, anyway, so, so real quick, talk to me about your martial arts. I don't, don't want to leave this conversation without referencing that. You've got what, four different black belts and you invented your own martial art? Yeah. It, 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 what, here's what's crazy. Any, anytime you go deep into something, you eventually create something. Yeah. And, and, and that's really, I mean, I like to use a reference, although I'm, I am not Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee basically became a, a mix of a whole bunch of things. And, and so I just took the, the pieces of, of what I was learning and who I became from Aikido and from yoga and Reiki and blended them together accidentally. And that's the, that's the beauty of, of birthing something. It's not, you're not, it's not a frontal lobe thing. It's almost an unconscious, superconscious maneuver where you're taking the energy around the best pieces and they blend into something. And all of a sudden it's like, wow. Yokito was born. And that's, it's an art of, of kindness, but in a lethal capacity. And it's a way for healing an adversary and leaving a situation, both physically and emotionally, and even on a phone call, leaving everybody better off where you've healed somebody, even if they're trying to kill you. So it may sound weird, but that's the whole idea with the Reiki infusion. It's this healing essence. And if we can do that more, instead of just either attacking people or ducking, but actually blending and connecting with relationship and removing conflict, the world changes. That's so interesting. I'm thinking about that, trying to heal someone who's trying to kill you. You know, there's a, it makes me think of a book. Again, we're going, we're going all over the place here, but have you ever by chance read the book People of the Lie by Scott Peck? Or maybe, maybe The Road Less Traveled? Sure, The Road Less Traveled, of course. Yeah, so he has another book called People of the Lie that based on what you just said, you might love. And to the audience, I would say, I mean, it's one of the, I, people you say, Jeff, what books shaped you? I would say the fountainhead and people of the lie for like, you know, I guess that's a fiction and nonfiction, but anyway, it's called uh, people of the lie, the hope for healing human evil. And it's Scott Peck, who's a medical doctor, who's a psychiatrist, tries to create an objective, non-judgmental, non-moral analysis of human evil so that you can treat it 
and heal and try to heal it. You know, from medical medicine can't place judgment on the condition or else it's blurring the patient and the sickness. And it is super fascinating. Anyway, it, I know we're, we're getting close to being out of time. So I'm just dropping that with you to do what you want, but it was really cool. Um, speaking of books, you've written a dozen books. Um, so although my first prescription would be go read all of Damien's books, I'm going to follow that up by saying if somebody wants to start with one, where would you steer them? So if you're interested in it with the beginning, we were talking about the EQRP stuff. If you're interested in retirement stuff and understanding and get, cutting through all the crap, I, I would pick up the QRP book. Go to qrpbook.com and I'll send you one. It's on me. I'll just, you know, I'll send okay. it to you. And if, if there's other stuff that you're interested in, go to financial underdogs. And I'm breaking the cardinal rule. Like don't send people in 15 directions because they're like, ah, what do I do? So, you know, it's, you know, I talk about this stuff and these different pieces on FU, on financial underdogs every week where I'm just really talking about the books are, are my experiences and, and the truth as I know it based on my life as I've lived it. And so if you want more of that, grab whatever resonates with you. I'm like, I don't know the perfect book for any one person. The book will know and you'll know when it says, read me. And that's kind of how I leave people. Cool. And that uh, we'll, we'll grab your links and put them wherever this appears. Um, but uh, Financial Underdogs, that's the name of your podcast too, right? That's right. Yep. Cool. cool. Um, all right. We'll say we're about out of time. Where can people go if they just want, I mean, I kind of just asked this question, but if they just want to get to know you and share in your world, is social media, your website, what's the best place? I mean, really just connecting with me and you're going to hear me raw uh, on a regular basis on FU. And, and, and here's what I like. I like when people have real life experiences or real life questions and they really want to connect and they, they actually find me on LinkedIn because, and, and not, don't, don't send me the message that you send to 50 other people trying to connect with them. Like if you actually want to connect with me, I'm on the other end of that thing. And I would love to connect and I'd love to support and help. If you have a question don't ask me a question if you don't want to take action because I'll, I'll give you some ideas and some action and I love seeing people take the action. So please do reach out. I mean, I'm always, I'm always happy to hear from people that are, that are doers and not just talkers. The precious few, right? <laughs> That's true. Well, Damien, this has been amazing, man. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I feel like we're of a like mind and I'm, I'm grateful to have a, a friend in, in the industry of trying to enlighten people and change the world, man. I'm so grateful you came on the show. Well, like grateful you had me. I appreciate you doing this and the work you're doing and look forward to connecting with you again and appreciate everybody spending the time hanging out with us today. Yeah, for sure. I, let me echo that. Thank you to everyone, viewers and listeners of Millionaire Secrets. You are the best part of this show and why we do what we do every day. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www dot e-n-t-r-e nation.com and join us today and of course do please follow me on social media i can be found on all the major social networks at jeff lerner official thank you again for listening and please go be awesome